You are listening to WRIRLP 97.3 FM, and this is Open Source RVA. On the January 31st edition of Richmond's Audio News Digest, we present the first in a series on the future of Monroe Park. First up, we talk with Charles Woodson of the Monroe Park Advisory Council about a new proposal for renovating the park. Then we'll have a discussion about the state of the Equal Rights Amendment. We'll be joined by Pat Fishback, the former president of the Virginia ERA, Andrea Miller, the deputy national field director for Progressive Democrats for Virginia, and Eileen Davis, co-founder of WomenMatterUseYourPower.com. But first, here are some of the top stories making headlines right now. Richmond City Council agreed on Monday to push back its vote on Mayor Jones' economic development plan for Shaco Bottom and the Boulevard, along with a resolution to push for the area targeted by his economic development plan to become a UNESCO World Heritage Site to February the 24th. Cameron Vigliano was at council on Monday night and can fill us in on more. And upwards of 60 citizens against the proposal to bring baseball to the bottom made their opposition known to city council, who before the council session started decided to postpone their vote on all business Shaco Bottom related. Among the delayed items was a resolution to push for the area that includes Lumpkin's Slave Jail, the Slave Trail, and Richmond's African Burial Ground as a United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization World Heritage Site. The pushing council to make the historic area of Shaco Bottom a UNESCO World Heritage Site is sponsored by Parker Ajalasto, who says the process is very long and is expected to take years. Everybody has asked for, and this includes the city, is perhaps a presentation on the process. And so we're going to ask uh, a representative from the National Park Service who works with UNESCO uh, applicants and uh, ask for a presentation so that we can get some of those questions answered okay. uh, so that we can move forward with the initiative. Okay. Currently, there is no UNESCO heritage site that deals with slavery. So if Richmond were to obtain this status, it would be unique. That regardless of what happens with the Shaco Bottom proposal for a baseball plant, you know, anything like that, it's the right thing to do for that territory. The relatively speedy council session included a surprise appearance by former 5th District Councilman Chuck Richardson, who spoke during the citizen comment period and asked city council to look carefully at Mayor Jones's proposal before approving it. He cited the city's failed 6th Street Marketplace project as a project that was promoted as a winner, but turned out to be a dud. I just asked some of the questions, because the thing that bothers me that hurts me the most was that all of the things that I'm hearing now I heard 25 years ago, the promises of jobs, more people. Richardson served on city council for 18 years and was elected to council even after getting caught possessing heroin and cocaine in 1988. He remains a respected figure in the Bird Park, Oregon Hill, and Southside neighborhoods he once represented. During his appearance at council, Richardson also expressed his opinion on Mayor Dwight Jones's comments to the Baptist Minister's Conference, where he reportedly said, quote, The majority of council does not look like us, a reference to the majority white makeup of council. The mayor's remarks was criticizing some of council's opposition to his economic development plan. Chuck Richardson. I'm disappointed that a mayor of our city would make a racial slur and nobody would stand up and say, Mr. Mayor, you are wrong. For the mayor's plan to move forward, it is believed that he needs seven votes from city council. 
though some in city political circles have begun speculating on whether the mayor might need only five votes if he uses an alternative means of financing or of leasing rather than selling city property that is part of the plan. Under the current plan before council, it remains unknown whether seven council members are on board with the plan. Yesterday, Mayor Dwight Jones told the Richmond Times-Dispatch that he can't say he's that confident he has the required seven votes. For Open Source RVA, I'm Cameron Vigliano. The Grammys weren't the only award ceremony taking place last Sunday. The Richmond restaurant community was out in full for the third annual LB Awards, which took place at the Virginia Museum of Fine Art. The LB Awards are Richmond Magazine's awards ceremony celebrating excellence in Richmond's restaurant community. The award itself is largely modeled off of Washington, D.C.'s Rammies. There were more than a few upsets. Restaurants in the Churchill District dominated the top awards, winning five out of the 11 awards given. The Roosevelt-winning Restaurant of the Year, Chef Lee Gregory winning Chef of the Year, and rising culinary star went to Phil Perro of neighboring Dutch & Company. Just across the street from Dutch & Company, the WPA's Michael Rohr won Best Pastry Chef. The Rappahannock Oyster Company's Travis Cruton, whose restaurant was up for four awards, Nap Restaurateur of the Year, the coveted Best New Restaurant went to Estelio's off River Road. Other awards included Shell Jones of Pasture for Best Front of the House Manager, Lemaire won for Best in Service, and the culinary student this year was a split between John Michaels of Culinard and Celeste Bowling Esslinger of J. Sargent Reynolds. Inoteca Segno off of Bellevue won for the Best Wine Program, being the only restaurant in the North Side to win an award. There were losers, of course. Both Seco and Cezanne had two nominations but failed to capture any awards, and the Heritage, which had six nominations, walked away empty-handed. All nominees could take comfort in the fact that the event itself was a huge success and the net proceeds will benefit local nonprofits such as Tricycle Gardens and Slow Foods RVA. For WRIR, this is Jesse Johnson. As the city's oldest park, Monroe Park has been many things to many Richmonders since it was first recognized as a public gathering place in 1851. Its history is central to Richmond's history and even the nation's. For one thing, it was used as a training ground for Confederate soldiers, and it's also been the site for many musical events over the years, both official and not. Its pentagonal grounds have hosted cultural and agricultural exhibitions, lectures, theater happenings, as well as regular makeshift soup kitchens that feed the area homeless. Adjacent to the Monroe Park campus of Virginia Commonwealth University, the park has long been the stamping grounds for students, and it's also been a longtime shelter for many homeless people. But Monroe Park is about to go through some changes, physically and administratively. A $6 million renovation of the park has been proposed, as well as an unusual lease agreement that would basically give the park over to an entity called the Monroe Park Conservancy. 
The Conservancy would get to control the park for 30 years, all for a dollar. As its first order of business, if approved, this entity will write new rules for the use of the park. City Council President Charles Samuels from the 2nd District is sponsoring this plan. He's a co-patron along with Mayor Dwight Jones. The mayor would be a member of this new conservancy along with representatives from the business community, the mayor's office, and VCU officials. So there's really two issues here. The planned renovation of the park, which everyone with an opinion says is necessary, and this controversial lease agreement. Over the next few weeks, Open Source RVA will present a series of interviews and reports about the state of Monroe Park. We've reached out to the mayor's office, Charles Samuel's office, the president of the Monroe Park Conservancy, and various critics of the proposed new plan. To help us understand what's going on with the park, Charles Woodson joins us. He's a member of the Monroe Park Advisory Council, which made recommendations in 2009 as to the park renovations. He's also a former president of the Oregon Hill Neighborhood Association and currently the executive director of the Oregon Hill Home Improvement Council. Thanks for coming in. It's great to see you again. Thank you, Don. Yeah. Let's talk about, um, let's start off by talking about the Monroe Park Advisory Council and the recommendations that it made to the city okay. uh, for refurbishing. First of all, what would be done to the park? Uh, well, if, if I may uh, backstep just a minute and mm-hmm. give you a brief timeline. Uh, back in uh, early 1990s, uh, uh, Virginia Commonwealth University made a uh, plan, a master plan, to go into Oregon Hill and uh, raise a lot of houses and, uh, and, and march to the river, so to speak. Um, they also uh, made an attempt to lease, so to speak, Monroe Park. There was uh, uh, actually a bill put through city council to give them jurisdiction of the park. It failed, and also in 1992, the city council saw fit to, through the diligence of uh, the Monroe Park Advisory Council, which was actually started in 1992 after this, Mm -hmm. um, a bill was actually uh, approved by the city council that, in fact, I'll read it. This is from April 27, 1992 to express the support of council for the continued use of Monroe Park as a public park and to direct the city manager and the city attorney to review and report to council any appropriate means for designating Monroe Park as a public park in perpetuity. Mm. Now, this is a resolution. It doesn't carry the weight of an ordinance with the city council, but they saw fit to do that, and now they're pretty much just throwing it out the window. In... What happened, and there's a, a great uh, newspaper article from the 90s, um, uh, Virginia Commonwealth wanted to remove 37 of the old growth trees. Right, Those, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. And many of these same trees are still there. Oh, right? absolutely, yeah, they're yeah. still there. They're, they're gorgeous. Uh, some of the oaks, water oaks and pin oaks are, are ashes. They're just gorgeous trees. Mm-hmm. Um but they want to do this for safety reasons, right? Was that what their their um, well? This came up again was? in two thousand and seven, and there was a big, big problem with the uh, Monroe Park Advisory Council when they said they wanted to do it. Their reasoning was they wanted more green space. Hmm. <laughs> you okay. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so that that's basically you know uh, what happened. They 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 established Monroe Park Advisory Council. 
in uh, response to VCU trying to remove these trees. Right. Uh, and, and that wonderful uh, resolution was passed. And then in uh, early 2000s, in 2002, when I was president of the Oregon Hill Neighborhood Association, uh, a couple of officials from the uh, Parks Department came to see me and asked if Oregon Hill would approve a plan that the city manager had put forth to turn it into a parking lot. Up to 46 buses would be parked in Monroe Park. Are you kidding? No, <laughs> that's the truth. And, of course, that was a no-brainer. We, we held, uh, Oregon Hill held a, uh, a uh, town meeting mm-hmm. at St. Andrew's Church, and uh, it, was w- it was well attended. Bill Panley, councilman of the 2nd District, was there. Uh, Turk Stees uh, of the Near West team, Mike Rohde, all civic activists. And mm-hmm. uh, from that meeting, Bill Panley decided to reconstitute the Monroe Park Advisory Council, which spun its wheels pretty much for the first few years we were together. Mm-hmm. Then again, in 2007 came that plan. VCU and certain members wanted to take down trees mm-hmm. uh, to make more green space. Right. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so what was, Rachel, the, what was the makeup of the count? Who was on it? Besides well, yourself? you had a uh, representative from all the, the contiguous neighborhoods. You had, mm-hmm. or, I was Oregon Hills representative. You had Jackson Ward, you had uh, the Fan District, mm-hmm. you had Monroe Ward, you had, uh, you didn't have Randolph, of course, but you had... Uh, well, you know where I'm going with this. This new Monroe Park Conservancy doesn't have any neighborhood no, uh, it does. Uh, uh, representation, and um, I'd like your thoughts on that. It was, that's a very, it's a strangely kind of, it just doesn't seem, it seems like they're, they're deaf to what, what you might actually need to make this uh, work. Well, look, Don, this is a 7.5-acre park. You can see easily from one side to the other. They're saying that what they're doing is similar to Maymont or Lewis Kenner. Now, both of those have multi-million dollar yearly uh, budgets. They have between 30 and over 40 uh, directors in their Mm -hmm. corporation, in their their nonprofit. This group, the Monroe Park Conservancy, has... 12, and they're a majority of VCU uh, administrators and city administrators. Mm-hmm. In fact, let me go, let me go through. Um, we've got Alice Massey. She's the president. Uh, we've got John Bates, who's from McGuire Woods, right? And Venture Richmond. And Venture Richmond. Mark Dre, who's from Hunt and Williams. Right. Another uh, a law firm. Well, McGuire Woods and Hunt and Williams are big uh, contributors to, uh, to Mayor Jones. Christopher Beschler, he's the city's deputy chief administrative officer. Suzette Denslow, who used to be with the mayor's office, now she's with the governor's office. And she'll be replaced soon because and she'll of be repl- Okay, mm-hmm. I was going to ask about that. David Hicks, who's a top advisor to the mayor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas Huff, he's from VCU's Life Sciences. Vice provost, yes. Okay, well. and Brian Olinger, he's the associate vice president of facilities management. Correct. And then we have Robert uh, Scott Ucrop, Bobby Ucrop. Who Alice said was uh, anxious to get off. I- I'm not sure what that's... Right, right. Why, I guess, uh, I guess it seems strange that politically you would go this route and that you wouldn't have the buy-in of the neighborhood. Or even I was noticing there's no one under the age of 30. Uh, this park is primarily used for students. Why wouldn't you have a student uh, a member or uh, someone who's under the age of 30, even if you were just worried about fundraising, I would tend to think you'd want representation there. So just some thoughts there. What, uh, what, what do you make of the makeup of this? Well, this, uh, the, uh, they would have you believe that this is about 
tax implications. And being a 501c3, they can offer certain benefits to groups that want to raise money hmm. uh, or that want to want to donate money. Of course, they've been 501c3 since 2011, and their GuideStar profile will tell you that there is no money. They have they have absolutely they haven't uh, raised any money. They haven't raised a dime. Now, Alice will will tell you that uh, she's got in kind donations from Mead West Faco who wants to work with the trees, and uh, Luck Quarries, who has an engineered soil mm. they want to donate. Mm-hmm. But if you consider uh, Maimon, for instance, they, they in 1975, their first year in existence, they had a million dollars. Now, that was a lot of money back then. Yeah. Well, in this case, it's a lot of money now. It's a right? lot of money now. And uh, like I said, the Conservancy hasn't raised a dime yet. Well, do you approve of the planned renovations to the park? Oh, what, absolutely. What, uh, to, to just talk about those a little bit. What what will be done to the park under this plan, regardless of who owns it and controls it? Okay. Let's separate it into above and, uh, and below ground. Mm-hmm. Below ground, you've got uh, su- the sewerage system, which, you know, it's an 1851 park. Mm-hmm. It, it, everything needs to be ripped up and replaced. Mm-hmm. Electrical system. Uh, there's stormwater. Uh, the intention is to make that park reuse all its stormwater. So none of the stormwater should be going into the sewer system. Mm-hmm. The lighting is in horrible need of, of, of right, uh, upgrading. Right. And, um, and, and for, uh, let, me, let me state that uh, it is not illegal to be in the park at night. You can pass through it, but you can't recreate in the park. Yeah. Um, the lights, of course... Uh, there is a tree plan where certain trees that are not indigenous to the historic period of significance will be removed and replaced. But there were many more trees back during the period of significance. You also have the checker's house, which is going to be fixed up, better right. bathrooms. And that's on grounds, the checker's house. That's on grounds. Right. And that will be uh, hopefully leased out as a cafe of some sort. All the all the the dead grass will be uh, hopefully renewed with the engineered soil and mm-hmm. periodic seeding and fertilizing, mm-hmm. and uh, a really big thing is the pathways that go through there are currently cl- crumbling asphalt. The plan would raise them to to level with the the grass mm-hmm. and grounds, so people could play frisbee and not fear for falling. Sure, sure. Um, and there will be treatments around the perimeter, uh, brick sidewalks, open areas for trees, which is another awful thing. We, we talked about VCU. VCU just uh, several months ago branded that park with a billboard wayfinding sign at the corner of uh, Main Street and Belvedere, as oh. well as C- Cathedral Place in, in North Laurel. Huge billboard sign, mm-hmm. which is against the master plan. Well, some have speculated that we, under this proposal, this Mon- Monroe Park Conservancy proposal, that VCU will be able to do anything it wants with the trees. Uh, is well, that an over, overstatement? No, no, it's not. You've got the uh, Exhibit A in, in the lease, which is after it's signed. It's, I guess, page 33 and 34. VCU is, is pretty much given to... Uh, uh, remove or prune trees as they see fit and with such ambiguous terms as uh, unhealthy. You know, uh-huh. you take a 120-year-old tree, it's going to be like a person. You know, you could you could say, well, yeah, it's got some rot there, <laughs> right, right. but 
that doesn't mean that it's it's uh, and maybe it's past the you know the prime of its life, but a lot of us are, you know. Right, but, right. You know, we're still beautiful, and those trees are gorgeous, man, and and they they mean so much to so many people, and they provide so much. Um, we just can't afford to let them go. But in this exhibit A, VT, VCU has maintenance services. There, there's a whole list of things that they can do to the park. Mm-hmm. And and further in the without lease, having to consult city council, without having or? to consult anybody, mm-hmm. and and there's a provision in the lease where if they destroy something, like if a lot of trees come down, they won't be held accountable, mm-hmm. and the lease can't be broken. For, Seems to me for we that. just went through this conversation with yeah, the whole Redskins yeah, thing. Yeah, I know. Well, some have speculated that this whole conservancy system is being set up in order to get rid of the quote unquote homeless problem, because there'll be new rules that will. Uh, address uh, what's suitable and not suitable for the park? Well, there will be a, uh, a list of acceptable events. Mm-hmm. And uh, from what Ms. Malley, Ms. Massey has said to us, everything will be, any event will be uh, subject to a permit, mm-hmm. and every permit will cost 35 bucks. So you want to have a feeding down there on a Saturday or a Sunday. It's going to cost you 35 bucks. You're going to have to get a permit. Right. Now, let me make myself clear. I've had run-ins. I have issues. Yeah. I, lo- I love what they're doing. Um, I think that there's a, a great potential for organization among the feeding groups, mm-hmm. and there needs to be uh, a set of rules. Now, we've talked about this. If you made, not only for Monroe Park, but all the parks in the city, if you have a carry-in, carry-out law, which uh, is a no-impact law, same thing, you would be... By law, uh, you would have to take out the trash that you put in. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is a great idea. Yeah. Uh, you know, instead of what hap- what happens now is that the trash cans get full because mm-hmm. VCU leaves at three, and these last feedings start at four. Yeah. And when they get full, people just throw stuff on the ground, and it gets blown into the neighborhoods, and we pick it up in our yards. Well, in your opinion, do we have a problem so bad that we would want to concoct a plan to get rid of the homeless? We don't need a plan to get rid of the homeless. You know, they they have every right to be in that park. It's a public park. It's a public park. And uh, God bless them, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, a great man there, but one, for the grace of God, go us. Right? A great man once said that that's what you do to the least of me, you do to me too, and and mm-hmm. uh, I think that's a good rule to live by. Why, why is handing over control of the park necessary? Why couldn't this group or another group raise funds and just give it to the city uh, out of the kindness of their heart? Why is con- why why does this group have to control it? Well, that's a great question. There's already the Enrichment Foundation, that's a 501c3, mm-hmm. that could accept and grant these tax benefits to groups that would want to uh, right. put, put money in. Mm-hmm. This is about control and management, mm-hmm. and I'm afraid it's about controlling who uses that park. Hmm. Um, where do you see this going? Do you see this plan actually for, uh, going forward, both the renovations and the lease uh, agreement? Do you... I honestly can't see. The, this lease is so poorly drafted. Uh, it's such a raw deal for the citizens of Richmond. I can't see city council passing it. Mm-hmm. Of course, I've been wrong before. <laughs> right. Hopefully, Councilman uh, President Samuels will come to his senses and uh, 
reconsider this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm not real yeah, optimistic about that, but we do have other great council persons, mm-hmm. uh, so we'll have to see what they say about it. Anything else that you think we should know about this project, uh, coming from someone who was on the advisory council? Anything else that we need to uh, address? I just think that uh, it could be it could be a gem. It's it's such a gorgeous park. Um, well, it has been a gem, hasn't it? I mean, it's 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 really served us well over the years. I mean, uh, all the stories about Bruce Springsteen playing in the park, Jerry Lee Lewis, the yeah. Kool Aid Sundays. L- listen, when I was a kid growing up in the West End, you know, before I could drive, we would ride the bus down mm. because there were old kids you know there were people playing music there were booths that were giving out free literature the fan free clinic we just thought it was really really a cool place and it was and it can be you know right now it's 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 worn down now i will say that i have met with other members of monroe park advisory council with the police Richmond Police uh, has jurisdiction over the park about a year ago Mm -hmm. they signed to get it back from VCU which does help in the park, but they say they don't have the resources to police this park. Mm-hmm. Consequently, you go in there any day of the week and you're going to have people sitting around the fountain drinking cheap whiskey out of yeah. brown bags. Right. So it needs to have supervision. Mm-hmm. Um, it just needs supervision because people get drunk. People Probably s- like any city park, right? It, like any city park, yeah. But the, the, what, what I think these people see is the, what happened with Bryant Park in New York City. Bryant Park was taken over by a public-private mm-hmm. corporation. Mm-hmm. And, and there's been access issues, hasn't there? Well, it was closed for four years yeah. while it was, uh, it, it, I mean, it, they did a beautiful job. And it's not run with any public money. All the, uh, it's, it's run with assessments on neighboring businesses and mm. residences, mm-hmm. as well as income from the events they hold there. Right. But here in this lease, you've got the city, who is the, the landlord, responsible for the gas, the sewer, the electricity. What a the, deal. The conservancy pays no uh, property taxes. Uh, you got to remember, that you're going to get between forty dollars and $50,000 rent in the checker's house. Hmm. That's going to the conservancy. That's not going to the city of Richmond. Mm-hmm. Um, that money could pay for a park keeper. Right. Or two. Uh, well, you know, uh, maybe the city can't afford the three million that that uh, that would be needed. Uh, you know, plus their three million. Oh, to give do me this. a break! Come on. Uh, <laughs> may, uh, maybe so, but but why do you have to give it away for a dollar if that's the case? Listen, th- three million dollars in a municipal budget is chicken feed. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we could put that money together, and uh, you know, the thing is maintenance. It's like if you put two thousand trees in the city of Richmond with no plan to water or take care of them. You know, what are you doing? You're throwing throwing money away. And we need to fix this park up and maintain it. And we need to have the city make a commitment because they're the ones through benign neglect have let it go for so long. Hmm. Um, They really need to step up to the plate. They need to hire someone to go into that park and take it over. Uh, as uh, as a uh, a parks keeper and uh, and as security uh, and I'm not talking about a a security uh, that is going to be messing with people. Yeah. I'm just saying have an authority figure there, so you're not going to have the drinking, you're not going to have the mm-hmm. acting up, you're not going to have the assaults. You know, you get a lot of people in there that just get to drunken brawls on the weekends. It's, yeah. Well, one thing that this kind of reminded me of was center stage. 
you get a historic Richmond property basically given away to a private group uh, for a dollar. Uh, and th the reason I bring that up is, will this new entity uh, be subject to Freedom of Information Act requests? Absolutely from the, not. From no. the taxpayers uh -uh. or from the press? No. And that was the last lease that the city executed was, I guess, five years ago was mm -hmm. Carpenter Center. Charles Woodson's been with us. He's a former member of the Monroe Park Advisory Council. No, wait, you're still a member. Now, that this, this was news you were bringing me, that the council is still active? Well, uh we were all asked if we wanted to to stay on as 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 the city budgeted money to 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 do the renovation and uh pretty much everyone said no hmm. and councilman agilasto asked me to stay on right just in case something came up i thought it would be smooth i had no idea it was going <laughs> in this direction um but yeah um there's uh, several members that are still on. We don't meet regularly. We used to meet every month. Mm -hmm. But once the uh, the plan was done and um, and uh, uh, the construction documents were, were made, then, mm -hmm. then pretty much Your our work, job. Your work was done. We thought our job was done. Right, know. right. Well, Charles Woodson's been talking with us about the plan, new renovations for, and the oversight of Monroe Park. Thanks for coming in, Charles. Thank you, Don. Yeah. Jay, thank you. Support for WRIR comes from Style Weekly, Richmond's alternative weekly for news, arts, culture, and opinion. This week's edition is now on newsstands and at styleweekly.com. Are women get ready to hear them roar the 1980s and all things retro are back including the equal rights amendment of course some things like gender equality never really go out of style the original era died in 1982 but with the 1992 passage of the 27th amendment the so-called james madison amendment a 200 plus year old amendment written by you know who the era got a bit of legal cpr today the era is back in front of the u.s congress and it's back right now before the Virginia General Assembly. I'm with Eileen Davis. She's co-founder of WomenMatterUseYourPower.com. Pat Fishbeck, she's a member of a lot of things, right? <laughs> um, but she's also a member of Women Matters. Um, and she's also the former president of the Virginia Equal Rights Amendment Ratification Council, now long defunct. This is going back to the earlier fight in the 80s. And I'm also with Andrea Miller. She's a member of Use Your Power, and she's also the deputy national field director for Progressive Democrats of America. Welcome, ladies. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Nice to have you guys here today. Thank and you. we are talking about something that uh, I think, as Eileen, you and I were talking about yesterday, a lot of people think this is already passed. 
Well, that's the challenge, Chris, because 97% of Americans think that we should have the Equal Rights Amendment to cover all genders with full equality and a person is a person and the gender of that applicant, that worker, should not matter. But 72% of Americans think that it already is passed. And if you live in a state, like if you live in a northern state and you're there surrounded... You're living in a state of imagination, right? Right, 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 right. <laughs> but if you live in a state that ratified... Um, like New Jersey or New York or Connecticut, you remember it having ratified many years ago and the fact that we'd never constitutionally fully ratified because of the states that didn't ratify, 72% of Americans think it's law and it's not. So real quick, the ERA, as it was originally, I guess, uh, as an amendment, mm -hmm. as the amendment was uh, mm -hmm. initially written, mm -hmm. um, does what exactly? Well, it, I have the Equal Rights Amendment on the back of my business card because it's so small it fits on the back of a business card. <laughs> That's I, pretty nice. I'm going to read it to you. It says, Section 1, equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of sex. I would prefer the word gender because gender is more modern, but that's how it's written. We can't change the wording. Section two, the Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. Section three, this amendment shall take place two years after the date of ratification. That is the Equal Rights Amendment. That's it. That's it. All right. So where are we right now? Again, I think, we're, again, talking before we came on air, we're three states away? We're three states short, and what we're, what we're implementing is what we're calling the three-state strategy. And Virginia is a targeted state because Virginia is an interesting state because we passed the Equal Rights Amendment in the Virginia state constitution. And that was when? Do you know? That was in... The 70s was the last time that the Virginia constitution... I believe it was in the 70s, yes. Okay. yes I and it's, it was sooner than that because it's on the... Uh, it looks as though it's on the seal. It looks as though women are dominant on the seal of Virginia. It was passed during the fight for Equal Rights Amendment at the time, okay. but then in, in the state only. But then they just kind of got went off into the weeds, and um, they never ratified it on the constitutional level. So it's we're one of the states that is holding back national constitutional ratification. So women are not in the Constitution other than the 19th Amendment, which gives women the right to vote, which is the only constitutional protection that women have. Is the right to vote. Is the right to vote. Now, there are some who will tell you that the 15th Amendment infers rights to women. And the 15th Amendment, if you remember, was the one that gave black males the civil war era, civil war exactly -civil war, as as was highlighted in the movie lincoln which mm -hmm. was also interesting they were screaming what's next vote for women you know that was part of the movie which just always gets got to me off my feet but the interesting thing is that that was not the solution because the word male was put in the 15th amendment it's the one and only time the word male is written in the constitution and it was put there because it didn't include the black women who had long suffered under slavery because those women had to get with the white women and the yellow women and the green women and the purple women and in wait line. until the 19th amendment only to get the right to vote it's mm -hmm. not inferred it is not inferred. No, it is and, not and, inferred. Um, and I'm going to jump in here and say the Supreme Court justices have been very specific saying that amendment does not cover or prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, Lily Ledbetter. Um, Justice and, and real quick, just to back up before uh -huh. we get to Lily. So, and that leads us into Lily because we do see things still today mm -hmm. where women 
tend to in the workplace and not just because of, of uh, part-time work or mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, but Duke versus in Walmart. Aggregate, in Duke aggregate. versus Walmart. Duke versus Equal Walmart. jobs. Walmart, Equal right. jobs, same job, mm-hmm. not the same pay. Okay. And yeah. it tends to be what, like 70% on the dollar, 70 cents on the dollar? Well, those numbers get parsed around. But the thing I wanted to say about Lily Ledbetter, sure. which is interesting, is Scalia was talking to a UCLA law school. And real quick, we're talking about Anton Scalia. Antonio Scalia, yes. He is on the Supreme Court. He is sitting on the Supreme Court. And he was asked while he was giving a lecture in front of a UCLA law school why he voted against the the Lilly Ledbetter Act. He was challenged. And his answer was, because the Constitution does not prohibit gen- uh, discrimination based on gender, so I was under no constitutional obligation not to. So there you have so it. So there you have it. From the lips of right, the From one of our sitting Supreme Court. Supreme Courts. Ruth Bader Ginsburg has also weighed in. Souter has also weighed in. The others have not weighed in. But we don't want to have interpretive equality. We don't want that. We don't want some. To, we don't want them sitting around arguing whether or not the Constitution might today be interpreted as including us. We want inclusion. We don't want it inferred. We don't want it suggested. We don't want it tolerated. We want it in the Constitution. Pat, you've been around for a while with this issue. <laughs> can, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of the last time? Well, as a uh, member of a group that was called the Equal Rights Amendment Ratification Council which was made up of a whole cluster of women's organizations, representative of those organizations. And we had a full court press going on whereby we polled every legislator and asked them to sign up or down, yes or no, would you support the Equal Rights Amendment when it comes before you? We kept that as a record. And we also, um, of course, lobbied every delegate and... uh, did everything we could. We had um, essay contests for all the kids in the state. We awarded prizes that the legislators had to give out. We were at every hearing, every committee meeting. We had participation in a big uh, march in Washington and uh, a big national rally for the Equal Rights Amendment as well. We were continually active. So this is, this is a full court press, including positive reinforcement with the kids getting to give the kids mm-hmm. awards and things. Basically. Oh, absolutely. We wanted to involve every citizen because the Equal Rights Amendment applies to every person who lives in the United States. So when did this end? What happened? Well, in uh, 1982, the Equal Rights Amendment was going before the House. The Senate, I believe, had already ratified it. And it was going predicted to be a tie. And um, Mary Sue Terry, the then Attorney General, I believe, yeah, you're talking about, you're was... Yeah, you uh, State of Virginia. Right, of the State of Virginia. We were counting on her because she'd been such an activist for the ERA to break the tie, and then it would go through, and it would be ratified by the State of Virginia. But that morning of the vote, one of the uh, legislators left town on a plane and flew off, so there was no tie that Mary Sue Terry could break. Where, where did they go? Well, we didn't know, but a few of us <laughs> followed him and said, bye-bye. But it was, that was how tenuous it was and is. And that's why people in this area and all over the United States need to become active because one little slip can ruin something as significant as an, as an amendment to the United States Constitution. Why did that end it in 1982? Why, like other amendments, does this not continue on? I thought that we just recently ratified 
a constitutional amendment that was originally written 200 and some change years ago mm -hmm. by James Madison. Mm -hmm. well, yes, we did. Good point. What, what happened with the Equal Rights Amendment was when they realized that the amendment was going to pass through Congress, it probably would, at the last minute in the final drafting, they added a deadline date. And they basically allowed seven years for the ratification. Basically, think of them putting the deadline on the cover page of the amendment. It's in the preamble. So it it's is not, not the actual it amendment. It is not in the actual amendment itself. So that means when the states ratified, they did not ratify the deadline date. And then subsequently, when we realized that we were not going to achieve the 38 states, we went back to Congress and Congress extended the deadline. So what we have here in legal precedence is that it is Congress that has 100% control over deadlines on ratification to constitutional amendments. Previously, constitutional amendments never had deadlines, and it was more of either a political game that eventually became habit that we started seeing these deadlines. Mm -hmm. So if Congress can impose a deadline, if Congress can extend a deadline, Congress has the authority to remove a deadline. Is the deadline removed from the ERA? No. We are working on that right now. As ah. part of what we're doing. That's what the bills in Congress are for. Okay, the, so now you have what, two bills in we Congress? We have two bills in Congress. We have SJ Res 15 and House Joint Resolution 43. And what they're doing Catchy is- Catchy names. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're calling for the ratification deadline on the Equal Rights Amendment that's basically had the Equal Rights Amendment sitting in time out like an errant child since 1982. And what the Equal Rights Amendment was put on was really put on as a poison pill, and it worked. But what happened was a very interesting thing. At the time, we thought, okay, they got us. You know, it's dead. We have to start all over again. All the 20 years of working with the with the 19th, from the 60s to the 70s to the 82 are all gone. We have to. Then a funny thing happened on the way to equal rights. The Madison Amendment <laughs> in 92 was passed by Congress. And the Madison Amendment was so named because James Madison had put it in 200 plus years before. And the Madison and, Amendment and real made- quick, the, let's, let's give some quick history. Yeah. This was one of the original 12 amendments yes. to right. the Constitution right. yes. that were written right. by James Madison. Right. Right. And this is coming actually, interestingly enough, right here out of Virginia mm -hmm. because they're based on the Virginia Constitutional Ratification Convention. Exactly. Uh, held down on Broad Street. Right where they ratified the Constitution and then proposed uh, a, a Bill of Rights. Right. And then Madison took the Virginia proposal mm -hmm. for a Bill of Rights, rewrote it into 12, mm -hmm. and then later on, 10 of them made it. Mm -hmm. So there were two that were hanging out there, mm -hmm. and one was the one that was more recently passed. It was actually during the Clinton administration, Well, right? it was 1992. 92. And the, what it was, was it was a congressional pay raise. It was in, it, it was funny. It came up during the sequester when all the um, people the in Washington sequester. were going, well, don't blame <laughs> us. The Constitution says we have to take our pay, our salary. That was the 29th Amendment. That was the, that was the Madison Amendment. And it took over 200 years from start to finish. So what happened? 203 to be 203. It's the, it's so the 11th slash 29th Amendment. Right, right, right. 20th, so what happened is, you know, constitutional scholars went, wait a minute, flag on the field. What's going on here? So we went back and we did a little homework. And we realized that the Constitution doesn't call for ratification deadlines. Article 5 of the Constitution doesn't talk about it. 
The only thing that the Constitution does speak about is that constitutional amendments have to be treated equally. They have, there has to be a similar process for all of them. So what we turned around and we did, we have a 27-page congressional review study that says, yes, we can drop that deadline. It's, it probably never should have been put on at all. Congress can drop the deadline. So the bills that are in Congress now are asking for those deadlines to be dropped so that we can pursue the three remaining states, Virginia being one of the key states. The other state is Illinois, which is interesting. Illinois voted down the Equal Rights Amendment by one vote over gay rights. And now today, in 2014, Illinois has has gay marriage. But they were concerned about the overlap. If one person is one person and two persons are two persons, what does that mean for gay rights? So they were... And in the 70s, they... Oh, so back in the 70s, they were concerned they about called, They called right that, and, and, and I'll be... I, I hope I don't offend anybody, but at the time, it was called the Fear of the Queer Campaign. Oh, wow. Th- that's yeah. what it was called. And, it, and it, was, it was basically the idea of what is the overlap to gay rights. And it indeed does have, if two persons are two persons, and gender, law is gender neutral. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was... But it's interesting. Here we are a generation later, and Illinois has gay marriage... But it still doesn't have an equal rights amendment. So down the table here, we have uh, uh, Pat's going to weigh yeah, in on I'd something. I'd like to point out that the ERA has been active in Congress. I think ever since it was defeated uh, in oh, so Virginia, so it never, never went away. It never no. went away, and it uh, the present sponsor now uh, is Bob Men- Menendez, who's in Congress, and he proposes an active equal rights amendment bill every year, <laughs> or someone does. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the equal rights amendment is alive in Congress. And our request to Virginia is simply that they go along with what Congress is proposing to become a real part of this country under the Constitution. Mm -hmm. So, again, and just as as a preface to the next question, this was originally a Republican bill. Yes. Yes. It eventually... Alice Paul was a Republican. Right. So eventually Mm -hmm. ends up kind of falling on this Mm -hmm. Republican amendment to it. Now, today... Fast forward to what's in Congress. These bipartisan. Es- bipartisan. It's bipartisan. Max Kirk, who is a Republican from Illinois, and Ben Cardin from Maryland are the co-sponsors of the Senate bill. Okay. And we have Republican and we have Democrat co-sponsors on the bill. The interesting thing about the uh, Equal Rights Amendment, which really needs to be stated, is that it really is the bipartisan sweetheart bill. And one of the things that we're trying to make the legislators in Virginia understand. And we'll come to them in a minute. Yeah, is that this is really, there's all this talk at the GA about, you know, mending fences with women. And and we really really bristle at the idea that this is a women's issue. This is not a women's issue. This is a civil rights issue. This is an economic equality issue. And it's for a reason that Henry Marsh is the Senate um, sponsor of the bill in the State House because he sees it as a civil rights bill. So when we talk about the Equal Rights Amendment, we want people to understand that This is really the bipartisan sweetheart bill. It was birthed by Republicans. Republicans are tripping over themselves trying to mend fences with the women in Virginia. They need to understand that they need to embrace this bill because, boy, oh, boy, talk about five dozen roses. This is is it. This is it. This is the dozen roses you want. Five dozen roses. Five dozen roses. All right. Well, so tell me what those five dozen roses look like in Virginia. You have a bill in the Senate and a bill in the House. And what is that? What do they do? Well, it calls for the uh, Virginia to ratify the federal Equal Rights Amendment. We become the next state that calls for constitutional ratification, and then we're only two states short instead Who has of three to do states. That? Would it be Would it be uh, the public would get to vote on this? No, no, no. no. It's in the House and the it Senate. It would just be in the House and the Senate. Yeah, so. right. It, it's a standard bill. So this is not like 
amending the Virginia Constitution where it's then going to go out to the popular vote. That's already this in place. This is purely right. This is purely in the General Assembly. This okay. is like any other bill. So this could actually happen this session. It's in the Senate, and it's Senate, uh, Senate Joint Resolution 78, sponsored by Senator Henry Marsh. And it's tied to House Joint Resolution 208. So if these guys were to ratify this this year, Virginia could become the state that essentially ratifies... For the first time in a generation. Would, would we be the necessary vote? We would be the, the state that would... Or would we do we need three more? Well, we need two other states. We do need two other states. If Florida is coming immediately behind us, Arizona has a bill. Illinois will be putting in a bill... Um, Nevada. Nevada, they will be putting in a bill. Louisiana's putting in a bill. We have states that have not brought legislation for decades. And the reason they're bringing legislation now is our bill in the House and Senate at the federal level is a little more than nine months old. We have 34 senators on our bill and we have 104 House members. So we need 218 in the House, and we need basically, because they have not changed the filibuster rules in the Senate, we basically are going to have to get 60 senators for cloture. All right. For those Both of us Virginia senators. For those of us who don't do vote counting, does this mean we're close in the House and Senate, or does this mean we're halfway there, or does this mean we're... Um, in the federal House and Senate, it basically means we are... Halfway there in the United States Senate for removing the ratification deadline, and we are nearing the halfway mark in the United States House of Representatives. Both Virginia senators have signed on to this bill. And this would be, of course, Mark Warner and Tim Kaine. Correct. All right. Correct. So what's next for you guys uh, during this General Assembly session? What we're looking at right now is we're looking at the Senate is looking at the bill. It's in the Rules Committee. We're hoping it will advance in the Senate and get voted on the Senate, and at that point, it will cross over into the House. The House is our problem. What we have in the House is we have um, we have the House bill is in the Privileges and Elections Committee, and the Privileges and Election Committee is run by a delegate from Fredericksburg named Mark Cole. Mark Cole is refusing to docket the bill, absolutely stonewalling, refusing to so docket the bill. So what this means is that it's stuck in committee. It means he's killing it. We're letting him know that we want the dignity of the debate. Women in Virginia deserve the dignity of the debate. We want it to come out of privileges and elections. We want it to go to the floor of the legislature. We are actually going Friday morning to the Privileges and Election Committee meeting in mass with a lot of women who will all be wearing our green ERAS signs. We can't talk be- because our bill isn't on the docket. That, that button looks like it's straight out of 1987. It's vintage. It's vintage. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, again, that's exactly what it is. So what we're, when we've got, I've, I've got hundreds of them, hundreds of them. And Probably we are saved some ladies some money being able to pull those out of the old. Yeah, exactly. So we are going in silent protest, and we're basically going to let him know we will not be ignored. Now, Senator Cole, so if any of your listeners. Uh, delegate. Delegate, delegate Cole, Cole, excuse me. Delegate Mark <laughs> Cole. Him. Delegate Mark Cole. And we're talking about um, HJ12. They want to call him and tell him we want the dignity of the debate. That's what we need to do. If they want to, uh, we're every every Friday morning they have a privileges and election meeting, and he just is ignoring the bill. The reality is, what's probably going to happen is it's going to get voted on in the Senate. We expect, hopefully, that it will pass, and then what it will that point do is it will cross over into the legislature and have to be discussed at that point by the floor of the legislature. 
for reasons that we don't completely don't understand, the Republican Party has taken this on as thinking that it is, you know, it's a, it's a Democrat bill and they don't want to support it, which is kind of silly because it really was their bill to start out with. So we are trying to, we have some, we need help. We need, we need bipartisan support. If there are any Republican women listening to this, we want you to know that this was your bill. Reclaim it. Join us. The 97% out there, we need them to join us. We need them to call their legislatures, particularly if they're Republican, and say this is a bipartisan economic parity bill. The thing that we need to remember, too, is that when women make what they should be making, they don't have an anemic salary, they don't have to go to the government to give them what their salaries don't. They don't need to subsidize their depressed income through state programs. They, you know, women who make what they need what they need to make don't need money from taxpayers. And, and of course, women are the vast majority of people yes. on assistance. Women are the vast majority, of, and they're also the vast majority of the underpaid. And Pat, you had something to add just before we wrap up here. Okay, I just wanted to mention that the Equal Rights Amendment is a moral issue. It should have been in the Constitution, not as an amendment, but as a part of the original Constitution because it simply grants to every citizen of the United States equality of rights under the law. And every citizen should be assured of that. Uh, it does no harm. And so the question is, why are people blocking it? Money. Always money. One thing I do want to end with, um, PolitiFact took the number crunching of, you know, the 70 cents on the dollar. What does that mean? And we're all adults. We know there often are more than one reason why you know, women make what they make. But what they did was they crunched the numbers and they said that 40% of the time, gender pay disparity cannot be attributed to any other correlative reasons and is strictly based on gender discrimination. We want the dignity of the debate. We want women to make what they deserve. It is time. And number two? So I've been with Eileen Davis. She's co-founder of Women Matter, UseYourPower.com. And I'm also with Pat Fishbeck. She's a member of, again, a lot of things, um, but also Women Matter. And she's also the former president of the Virginia Equal Rights Amendment Ratification Council, dating back to the 80s and 70s. And I've been with Andrea Miller, and she is a member of Use Your Power as also, and is also, excuse me, a deputy national field director for Progressive Democrats of America. Guys, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you, Chris. And that's Open Source RBA for Friday, January 31st, 2014. I'm Don Harrison, and my co-quarterback is Chris Doe. The show is coached by Jay Westerman and Jesse Johnson, and the hard-hitting backfield, why, that's the Richmond Public Media News Team. Anafrio Castilla, Cameron Vigliano, Abid Rahman, and Brittany Tracy. Dim dogs. Our board op is the master of the flea flicker, Danny, and that guy on the sideline, Posing with a pigskin and dressed in Broncos gear and chewing on snack food at a very high rate? Uh, don't worry about him. It's Mike McKenzie. Past podcasts and breaking news can be found at rvaopensource.com. So why not turn the sound down on the Super Bowl and surf us instead? We promise not to punt on first down. While you're there, drop a click on the Donate Now button and metaphorically pat us on the fanny and tell us way to hustle. Until next time, we're going to Disney World. 
Thanks for listening to Open Source RVA.